Welcome friends and neighbors, good government types, political junkies, and folks just checking us out. I'm your host, Bob Orr, the old retired judge turned podcaster, welcoming you to the battle for NC-14, the hottest, craziest, most interesting 2022 congressional race in America, set in the beautiful mountains of Western North Carolina. Today, we've got two really interesting interviews, the first with Democratic candidate Katie Dean, who describes herself as a geriatric millennial, which I thought was a pretty creative term. I think you'll find our visit with Katie both interesting and engaging. And then we'll talk with my longtime friend John Anglin, the Republican Party chairman for Yancey County, about the chaos that has erupted after the abrupt departure of Madison Cawthorn from the battle for NC-14 and his jump to the 13th Congressional District. On the campaign front, everyone is still sorting out the extraordinary decision by the incumbent Cawthorn to not run in the 14th, but instead to roll east into the 13th District. Be sure to listen to our wrap-up after the interviews, and I'll share some special news about next week's show. So let's get going with our interview with Katie. I meant to ask her about her dogs, but got wrapped up in more substantive conversation. However, my ever-faithful dog judge did get to meet Katie's two canine companions, Hank and Sam, when we went to interview Katie. Hank is a little guy with a feisty attitude. He reminds me a bit of Katie. Sam is old and loves sticks and immediately bonded with Judge over retrieving any kind of stray branch. You gotta love dogs. So, let's roll. All right, here we are in the Swannanoa River Valley in Buncombe County, right close to Warren Wilson College, east of Asheville in the shadows of the Black Mountains, and I'm with Katie Dean, Democratic candidate for Congress. Katie, welcome to the battle for NC-14. Bob, I appreciate having me on today. It's a pleasure. Great. We're excited excited to talk with you about your campaign. And um, So l- let's start out. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up running for Congress. Yeah, it's... It's a long story. <laughs> I don't know how far you want yeah, to start. We, but well, we got a few minutes. I was, uh, I was born and raised in North Georgia on a farm. And I grew up in a family that was living the quintessential American dream. My dad was the first in his family to earn a post-secondary higher education degree. He's a, he was a very smart man. He earned a master's in nuclear engineering from Georgia Tech. Wow. A rambling wreck. Yes. I knew the rambling wreck song before the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> And, you know, so growing up, you know, the, of all the privileges that I grew up with, the, the two most important things that my parents raised me with were hard work and education. And with those two things, you can do a lot of good in this world. Um, so it was, it was a lovely childhood and I kind of fell into some hard times in high school and I ended up not graduating high school, uh, because I was failing math. And it became clear senior year that there was no path to graduation for me. Uh, So I withdrew from high school and uh, with my parents' begrudging blessing (laughs) and uh, earned my GED, took a year off, and went back to school. And my education track has been a bit diverse. Uh, I went to Young Harris College for a year, and then I transferred 
from Young Harris College to Brevard College here in Western North Carolina, Transylvania County. And I was at Brevard for a year, and that proved to be a bit too costly for the amount of student loans I was taking out. So I transferred down to Georgia State University and withdrew from Georgia State University second semester to take on a full-time career opportunity. Right. At the time, I was a black belt in, a black belt in martial arts. Okay, and, this is a new fact that I haven't seen on your bio, so I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I'm a second-degree black belt, actually. Yeah. So yeah. at the time, I was getting ready for my black belt and actively training at the martial arts studio, and I was offered a teaching part-time, and I was offered a full-time position. So I withdrew from school, took the job. And I was thinking it would be a good career choice. I could be a small business owner, work with kids, be a mentor, you know, use your mind and body. And I learned very quickly that it's difficult to own a small business that relies on other people's disposable income when the economy crashes. Uh, during my college years, I also developed a deep love of whitewater kayaking. I've paddled rivers in the deep valleys of Western North Carolina's 11th from with the Watauga River and the Class 5 Rapids on the Watauga River, uh, all the way to the Raven Fork River in Cherokee County, North Carolina, uh, all over Western North Carolina. And so that, you know, I've had a, a deep connection and affinity to Western North Carolina for the last 15 plus years. Now, now this may, this may be a little uh, off topic in one sense, but how do you relate the the skills you developed in uh, black belt karate expertise and whitewater kayaking at the highest levels of the sport to running for Congress and being a, a ultimately a public servant? Oh, I think they that's a great question. And th there's a lot of crossover in in a variety of capacities there uh, with the martial arts side of things. Uh, discipline is huge, you know, uh, control of power, control of your temper. And, and I think that that's one thing that we really have to offer is a good temperament stepping onto the political stage, um, to fill a void that we desperately need in Congress is to have well-tempered congressional representatives. Uh, so for martial arts, uh, I'd say good temperament, control of power, and, and discipline directly cross over to really anything that you do in your life. Uh, to go a little bit deeper, there's a, a, a mind-to-body connection, uh, you know, through your breath uh, that we've been well-trained in. And on the kayaking side of things, all of those things relate. I use my martial arts skills to develop my whitewater kayaking skills. With the paddling, you need to be fearless. You need to be able to control your heart rate and focus on doing really difficult things that have high consequences where you don't always have control. And maintaining balance amongst the chaos and awareness when you can't see. Well, balance among the chaos may be a motto for running for <laughs> Congress or being in Congress because obviously it's a pretty chaotic situation. So, uh, it, you know, going back, so, but ultimately you went on to become an engineer. Is I that did, correct? Yeah. yeah. And so I, I met my husband, fell in love when the economy was going under. And <laughs> Is there a correlation there? Or do we... <laughs> no, just that we fell in love uh, hard yeah, and yeah, fast. Yeah. And he was uh, working up on the Chattooga River, which is just under the Western North Carolina state border. And I moved up to the Chattooga, worked as a raft guide for two years, living in rural South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And we lived just above the poverty line. 
worked multiple jobs. I think at one point we had six jobs between us. In the winter, rent was late. Uh, There's one day it was a high of 32. We ran out of propane heat. Um, and we were navigating the economy as a uh, high school, you know, I was navigating the economy as a high school dropout and a college dropout and working two or three jobs at a time that all made less than $10 an hour. And so when we decided to get married, we sat down at this kitchen table, mm-hmm. which has been my family for many years, and had, you know, the difficult conversation about what kind of lives we wanted to build together. And, you know, we made the decision we needed to go back to school. And so we were both Georgia residents still. Right. Uh, so I went to the University of Georgia and I earned a Bachelor's of Science in Environmental Engineering. And Zach went to Athens Tech and became a mechanic. He started working two years sooner than I did because you enter the workforce a lot faster right. with a lot less money invested. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we went from working class jobs and, you know, just straight into the workforce. Um, he works as a mechanic. And then I took a job with a blue collar engineering firm doing infrastructure design for rural municipalities. And that was in that was North in, Georgia? Yeah. Or? Well, that was in Athens. So Athens. Yeah. I took a job just right outside of Athens uh, in Watkinsville, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And the majority of our clients were in the North Georgia region. Small, small municipalities, usually one million gallon per day type water plants, uh, and worked on a wide variety of projects. A hundred percent of the projects that we worked on were paid for by taxpayer dollars. So I've seen where the red tape has been uh, efficient and beneficial, and it protects public health. And I have seen where the red tape is a mile long. And uh, inefficient, ineffective, you know, and it's at our cost because we don't get the infrastructure that we need. Uh, there's politicking going on behind closed doors, you know, and, and it leaves us footing the bill whether the projects get complete or not. Yeah. Now, would you say that's where your interest in politics was first generated in seeing how government works and doesn't work? Or how did you get interested with your background in in politics, particularly congressional level? Um, I think it's, Zach told me not too long ago, he's he's like, it's always been there. He's like, some people are surprised by your run, like as a kayaker. Mm. Uh, and they're like, where's this coming from? And he's like, it's always been there in you. Um, policy, I'd say I became passionate about policy through my education at the University of Georgia. And I had phenomenal instructors who testify in front of Congress for energy policy. Uh, One of the leading professors at the University of Georgia leads on an international stage for plastics in in the ocean and research. So that's where I became passionate about policy and particularly our energy policy uh, with more of the humanities and a historical understanding in high school because I wasn't passing math. I was way more interested in AP Lit history. Uh, I was in Latin for honors when I dropped out of school. Um, So I've always had a bit of a historical interest in like where we were, where we are, how we got here, you know, and what we face. Deciding to step up to run for Congress. Well, now before we get there, okay, we got to get you from Watkinsville Oh, to yeah. Western okay. North Carolina. And, so we yeah, moved. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we, yeah. We were working in infrastructure. I was working in infrastructure design. Zach right. was a mechanic. And we wanted to live closer to our community. You know, we have deep ties with Western North Carolina through the whitewater industry and scene. Uh, so I applied for a job at Altamont Environmental. It's a geological cer- 
geological firm that does environmental remediation work and compliance and uh, applied for a job and they accepted. And so we moved up here. And when we moved up here, uh, if anybody listening to the podcast lives in 828, you understand that housing is very expensive. So we cashed in uh, my fancy 401k from my fancy engineering job to buy a house here because we couldn't afford to rent. Um, While we made that move, we also started an auto repair business. And it was one person, one or one person, one bay, half the building. And Zach started the business and I financially carried the family and helped do the back end part of the infrastructure of the business. And I'm proud to say that we've built it. We have multiple full-time employees at this point. We expanded into the entire building. And a few weeks ago, we bought the building. That's great. Now, is that in Asheville, Swannanoa? It's in Arden. It's Arden. just south okay. of Asheville. Okay. So we yeah. live yeah. east of Asheville and our business is in yeah. south, south okay. of Asheville. Okay. Um, well, so you've moved here, you've started a business, and something generates uh, a fire. Yes. To get involved in the congressional race in 2022. How'd that come about? You know, people have one point event in their life that they point to to say that's when I decided to throw my hat in the ring. I think for me, it was just a culmination of of where we were when Madison Cawthorn was elected and seeing the kind of representation that we had from Mark Meadows as well. Um, you know, as, as small business owners, Zach and I have seen how difficult it is to navigate a, a broken economy that does not work for the working and middle class. And I've always... I've always operated on the principle that if you see something, say something. And when saying something doesn't work, you stand up and you do something about it. Uh, So what inspired my run for for Congress at this point, I want to say is is probably the level of extremism and how accepted it has become in our mainstream media and our society, uh, you know, and full well understanding the risks and hazards that that poses to our country, you know, I, I do think it's up to everyday working class, middle class Americans to to stand up, unite, and say we're not extremists. So you talk with your husband, you make this decision, you're going to run. Yes. 2022 in the Democratic primary. You've been in the race now, what, four months, five Since months? Since June. Since June, okay. I can't do the math. A few months, <laughs> right. So, and, and I'm assuming that your that's been your first foray into, shall we say, organized politics. Yes, You're running what, a campaign. What, what's what's been your take on it? What what surprised you? What's disappointed you? What's frustrated you? What's made you excited? Oh, that's a great question. Um, what's frustrated me is not a surprise to me at all. Is the pay to play economy? That is how we elect people to office. You know, we have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars that have poured into Western North Carolina from outside of Western North Carolina to decide who's going to go on the ballot. Uh, you know, and I was frustrated with that as a citizen. I continue to be frustrated with that as a candidate. 
Uh, I've, what excites me is that our campaign is doing more with less. And we're doing more with less in a very genuine grassroots effort that the team that we're building are all Western North Carolina NC14 constituents who are coming together to say, we believe in what you're doing. We believe in your messaging. We believe in the kind of, that we all agree with the representation that we want to have. And it's it's cultivated a, a genuine grassroots traction uh, that, that is or- organically expanded throughout the district. And what's been the, the, the greatest thrill of it or the, the, uh, the, mo- the biggest positive at this point? That's a great question. The, the greatest thrill of, of, of running the campaign, I think, is connecting with people and consistently i hear from from republicans democrats moderates progressives independents uh, people who've never voted before my takeaway so far has been that we have more in common than we're willing to admit and that there's there's room in this race and there's there's room for a seat at the federal level to have smart and hardworking representation and that the people of Western North Carolina are going to organize and and do it together. If I win this seat, it's not because of me. It's because of everybody that has joined this campaign. And so we've got a primary right now scheduled for the first Tuesday, first March 8th. Yes, Tuesday, March 8th. Mark it on your calendar. There's a possibility that could be pushed back uh, based on the redistricting litigation, but we don't know. Uh, right now, there are are there five others um, Democrats. There's there, yes. There, there's a pretty sizable contingency. Do you anticipate there would probably have to be a runoff? Is that is there a talk of that? I assume so. Yeah. I'd be yeah. surprised if it didn't go to a runoff. So you know, it's you know, but in U.S. politics right now, yeah. anything's possible. Right. Uh, any strategy you want to share with? Uh, uh, the the listening public on on how Katie Dean goes about and 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 wins wins the Democrat primary. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. I, I so to that I want to I want to talk about why we can win and how we can win and why we can win is is part of how our district is drawn. Uh, people have said if people are are running the rhetoric that it's overly Republican that a Democrat just can't win this seat. And I strongly disagree. I think the way that we are drawn, we now live in a battleground district. And as an open seat, this will be one of the most competitive and consequential elections in the 2022 midterms. And we win that seat by running a campaign that has energy and substance, uh, that, that runs a campaign that is relatable to our lived experiences for what it's like to navigate a broken economy and what our needs actually are. Uh, the, the polarization and the outrage politics and the extremism that we see leaves us vulnerable in today's e- economy. And it also leaves us footing the bill. So how do you as a Democrat, how will the Democrat nominee in the 14th need to address sort of the Republican mantra of trying to label every Democrat as a Pelosi socialist. Um, you know, you're going to confiscate 
everybody's guns. You're going to, you know, I mean, you know, sort of those standard yes. trademark labeling uh, political deals uh, that that you're going to face. You, you got a way to respond to that? It's, I mean, that's the response that I think all Democrats and independents who aren't socialists, you know, need to, <laughs> yeah. to help combat. Um, it's, it's, because their their messaging and their targeting is very effective. Uh, to combat that, again, I think that you run with substance and you say, this is who we are, this is what we stand for. And, and part of combating that rhetoric is going to be a strong boots on the ground campaign. And it really comes down to how you communicate, how you build relationships, and how you're going to organize. Are you going to win everybody over? No, probably not. But can you organize in a capacity that inspires people who don't typically come vote to come vote for you because they believe in your cause and they believe that you're going to provide smart, tough, and hardworking representation? Yes. So when you got in the race, there was a fellow named uh, Madison Cawthorn. Yes. Familiar with him. <laughs> a familiar name. Yes. Uh, that every Democrat and uh, several Republicans who jumped in the race yeah. were running against. Correct. As of last week, uh, Brother Cawthorn has bolted for the 13th district uh, to the east of uh, the 14th and won't be on the ballot. Right. Yeah, at least in the 14th. And, and I think it's worth, my opinion is really driving home the point. He, he jumped ship because this district is competitive and he was vulnerable and this is a seat we can win, but continue. <laughs> okay. So, um, your impressions of, of him, well, you just gave one that, you know, he, you, you think he jumped because he was concerned about the competitiveness and he was looking for an easier race. Um, we don't know for sure yet who all the Republicans may be on, on in their primary, but, your reaction to Cawthorn and Cawthorn being gone and the pool of potential Republican challengers that the Democrat nominee will face. Yeah, you know, I mean, the going got tough, so Cawthorn got gone. None of that is surprising. It's now an open seat. I think it's really anybody's game. Uh, we launched our campaign with what we have to offer, and that is hardworking and smart representation. Uh, if you notice, when you go look at our launch video that we released at the very beginning of our campaign, we don't talk, we don't mention his name at all. So we're running for what we have to offer Western North Carolina. Um, with what they run on the GOP ticket, you have the three people still on the ticket that were running against Cawthorn. Um, we now have Michelle Woodhouse, who has jumped into the NC 14th GOP yeah, ticket. Yeah, potentially Cawthorn's chosen candidate. We yes, don't know that officially. A allegedly, yeah. uh, I would. I feel comfortable saying that she is Cawthorn 2.0. So we're we we're running against the same playbook that Cawthorn had, uh, and there's there's similarities with that. Uh, there are other rumored candidates that the N NCGOP establishment side uh, may or may not be running, and really, I think we'll have all of our questions answered at the end of the filing in December. Right, which is. Only a couple of weeks away, and uh, yeah, then then we'll know who's in, who's out. Uh, so, uh, in, in sort of wrapping up, are there two or three issues that that you've uh, tried to address or, or, or 
emphasize in your campaign or that you're hearing from constituents? Yes. Access to health care is a huge one. Uh, I have a personal story associated with it. I assume everybody has a personal story associated with it. When I left full-time environmental remediation work to work at the family to grow and expand our family business, I forfeited our access to affordable health care. And so we went without it. I broke my collarbone as an uninsured person. It required two surgeries. The first surgery put a deck screw down the inner diameter of my collarbone. The second one was to remove it. I did the second surgery without general anesthesia because it saved me $15,000 in healthcare costs. Well, that that's terrible, but that's pretty tough. I will say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and what I've learned through my process is that my story is not unique to me. This, this issue is uniquely American. All across Western North Carolina, people sit at the kitchen table. And when people get hurt, when people get sick, the first thing they think of is, it's not how am I going to take care of myself or how am I going to take care of my family? It's how am I going to pay for this? And we have seen with our local community nonprofit hospital, we have seen where that nonprofit hospital got sold down the river for for-profit gains. And what happened is costs went up, care went down. So when it comes to access to affordable health care and quality health care, I'd say that's a highlight on our platform and our campaign. And we're working with industry professionals across our districts uh, to really run good policy that benefits Western North Carolina, especially when it comes to a strong anti-corruption stance that have infiltrated our legislative policies and our healthcare industry. And that's probably a good one to end on, but I want to give you a a chance. Tell us your website and, yes, your, and, your, absolutely. Tw- and your Twitter handle, right? Yes. So, yeah. uh, everything. The website is www.electkatydean.com. All of our social media handles are also at electkatydean. And we are running a working class campaign for a working class district. But as I've said to each of the candidates, I assume there's a donate button on there your is, website. Absolutely. Would, would you encourage folks who who like your message and your campaign to? One hundred percent. This is a grassroots campaign. Uh, we are we are doing more with less. I'm very proud of the team that we're building and cultivating. Right now, every dollar donated goes to our ability to knock on doors and communicate. We just hired a full time field organizer. Uh, who was born and raised in Western North Carolina. Uh, her name's Abigail, and we're really excited to to hit the ground running. Well, let me thank you for your time and y- your commitment to running. Any, since this is going to run, hopefully the day before Thanksgiving, um, any Thanksgiving message you would like to extend to the, the citizens of Western North Carolina? Yes, I I wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, I think it's always a really good time to take a pause reflect, look around, spend time with those we love most. And if you're in Western North Carolina, get outside because we know when we get out, we we see and we feel about how much we have to protect here in Western North Carolina. And there's a lot to be thankful for as well. Amen. And Katie Dean, thank you so much. Thank good you, Bob. Luck it's been the, a pleasure. And good luck in the campaign ahead. I look forward to talking with you again really soon. Appreciate you. All right. Well, great. Uh, it's my pleasure to talk with my longtime friend, John Anglin, chairman of the Yancey County Republican Party, 
longtime chairman, I might add. Uh, John is, and his wife, uh, Marie, who I should put a, a note in, is a candidate for the clerk of court's office here in uh, Yancey County. But John and Marie and family are, where are you, John? We are in the beautiful small town of Eufaula, Oklahoma at the moment uh, for Thanksgiving with uh, my, mother, my mother's family. Well, that's great. Uh, and I assume you drove out there? We did. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of great flights between Asheville and Tulsa. I'll yeah. say it that way. So <laughs> we made the 13 and a half hour commute uh, last week. Yep. All right. Great. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving and give Marie and, and the kids my best. Uh, I, I want to get your take on the dramatic <clears throat> events that have taken place in the congressional race for NC-14, formerly NC-11, with Madison Cawthorn shocking everybody and bolting to the 13th congressional district. And we've had at least one new Republican join the race. So look, as a longtime uh, Republican activist, what's your take on all this? Well, I I think we've been in a cycle here and, what is still, I guess, the 11th as far as from a um, GOP executive committee standpoint. And, of course, we're migrating, I guess, into the 14th, as you would say. Right. Uh, but it's been, um, you know, we had longstanding congressmen such as Charles Taylor and uh, even with uh, Congressman Schuler, in which, uh, you know, there there seemed to be, um, you know, a pattern there of, uh, you know, um, where seemed to be more. Uh, I guess of a steady pattern. Right. I'll say it that way. And then, uh, you know, we go back to, of course, Congressman Meadows when he decided not to run again. Uh, that was, that seems like it was a lifetime ago, but actually, uh, only two, two years ago now. And so, of course, went on to subsequently serve as chief of staff. And with, uh, with Congressman Cawthorn making the decision, I think, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, it's, you know, the nature of it is not one that in the mountains, uh, we have been used to, but at the same time, it's one that we have now found ourselves in again. And, um, you know, where we've seen politics abounding, I, I've, I've said many times, I'd love to take a break in these, uh, off odd years, uh, you know, and maybe focus on the local town of Burnsville municipal races, but that's just not, that's not been the case over the past, you know, uh, two or three terms that I've served now. So I, I'm assuming Cawthorn's decision came as a huge surprise to you, even though you're obviously well-connected across the district in Republican circles? It, it was. It was uh, something completely out of left field, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, Congressman Cawthorn and I uh, spoke, you know, privately one-on-one in regards to his decision to do it. And, uh, you know, I wasn't prepared for it. I don't think that uh, anyone else was in, in the congressional district. And so um, not not one that we had planned for. I'll say it that way. So uh, and with redistricting, moving Watauga into the new 14th congressional district and taking out strong Republican uh, locales in Polk County, McDowell County and, and part of Rutherford County, it is a more competitive district and does does Cawthorn's dramatic exit from the race create sort of a chaotic situation is who the Republican nominee will be? Um, I, I think it could be chaotic. I think that, 
you know, of course, phone calls happened immediately after, um, you know, not not the decision was made, but even the rumor mill that Congressman Cawthorn was going to, um, you know, go down into the 13th and make his bid there. Um, so I, I think that, you know, of course, people who dwell in this sphere, I'll say it that way, it's a, it's a tight sphere. It's a fairly well-known community amongst people like you and I. But at the same time, you know, we're a lot of conversations of, okay, if not Madison Cawthorn, then who becomes the front runner is a lot of that conversation. What are the dynamics that are left in play? And I think ultimately, um, you know, the, con- the concern uh, is kind of two-part. Everybody wants a fair primary. Uh, I do. I want a fair primary. And uh, I want people to have the opportunity to hear folks and like what you're doing with this platform. I listen to your podcast coming out and uh, enjoyed those. And uh, I think more of that is needed so people can make an informed decision on who they want to support. With that being said, uh, I'm not sure how chaotic the field's going to get uh, based on what I'm hearing. Uh, um, you know, I'm just, you know, of course, everybody's looking to the General Assembly uh, where those folks didn't have the opportunity to file two years ago. You know, who out of that field is going to step up and uh, possibly seek a run at Congress here in the newly in the newly created NC-14. And, and the three names are actually four names that I've seen. You got three in the state Senate, Chuck Edwards from Henderson County, uh, Ralph Heiss from Mitchell County, and Deanna Ballard, who is uh, from Watauga County. And then I've seen Kevin Corbin's name uh, from Macon County. And forgive me, uh, is Kevin in the house? Isn't he in the house? Or, or, or is he no, in the he, he's, he's actually in the Senate. Senate. Okay, he, I he took remember, uh, yeah. Jim, Jim Davis. Jim Davis okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I haven't been able to, you know, verify a lot of these things. I know, of course, Senator Heiss is our senator here in Yancey County. And um, I just I just believe a lot of the work that they've done has been great. And, you know, to cr- a credit to Senator Heiss has been, you know, regarding the uh, district maps for NC Senate. I mean, he's drawn the maps and everyone's uh, like, well, Ralph ended up having a map drawn for him that double bunks him with Senator Ballard. And I think that just speaks to who Senator Heiss is as an individual, to be honest with you. And while selfishly, uh, I don't ever like to see a double bunk with someone who uh, for Yancey County has been as strong of an advocate as Senator Heiss has been. It's going to be interesting how all this shakes up. There's so many tentacles within this, you know, okay, one does this and the other does this type of thing. And so I think, again, there's also the matter of when are these maps in a sense, uh, adjudicated uh, as a result of these uh, lawsuits. Uh, So I think, you know, there may be a lot of wisdom. And um, while a lot of people might say there's a lot of wisdom in waiting, I think right now uh, a lot of the horses are getting out of the stall, so to speak. And there, there is a sense of urgency because it's going to be a quick window. Yeah. Filing is, is scheduled right now for what, December 8th, 7th, right in that period. Six, December 6th. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and a two week window, so if, if you heard anything about the, the possibility of, of filing uh, being postponed and the primary being postponed? Well, I, I have heard that, you know, there, you know, these, these things for a chairman, I hate them to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah. I understand the process, yeah. but you know, as a chairman here in Yancey County since 2015, you know, my main effort has been to, uh, 
you know, one have uh, not a united front in the in the sense of you know we're going to all agree on everything. Republicans are terrible at agreeing on every, one one single issue. It seems at times. But that being said, it's just keeping some uh, form of unity and then keeping the focus simple. You know, better government. And I just happen to believe that Republicans, uh, you know, good Republicans being elected lead to better government. So as a chairman, you know, it brings consternation because the timing of things and, you know, you're trying to fundraise for your local party. while at the same time, you've got primaries going on and, you know, you need to kind of get out of the way a little bit and just help people make an informed decision. So but I have heard uh, that there there may be delays in that. Uh, you know, you always wonder how will these maps change, if anything, you know, if it's ruled that there was gerrymandering where it's based on race or whatever the case may be. And so um, I, you know, there's also precedent for having separate primaries, a congressional primary separate from the rest of the uh, races. So uh, it's going to be interesting how it shapes up. It seems, well, I would say it seems to be the case here in the district. It has been in the state of North Carolina for some time as well as a big old purple state in the union. <laughs> well, and I think Western North Carolina is trending that way, uh, even though it's, you know, leaning Republican and has historically for the last 20 or so years. Uh, the There were three active candidates in the Republican primary prior to Cawthorn getting out. Colonel Rod Honeycutt, Wendy Navarez, and Bruce O'Connell. I've uh, interviewed on the podcast both Colonel Honeycutt and Wendy. Uh, I've talked on the phone with Bruce and we'll be getting him uh, lined up down the road. But also uh, there was a new entry sort of immediately after uh, Cawthorn's announcement. And this one is kind of controversial. It smacked to the Mark Meadows, Linda Bennett, handpicked successor uh, issue. And that's Michelle Woodhouse. Tell tell our listeners about Michelle Woodhouse. Well, I've known Michelle for a few years now. Um, I know that Michelle was actively uh, has been actively involved in the Henderson County GOP and was a volunteer uh, from. Now she may have been prior, so I'm just speaking from my uh, knowledge of her back in the 2020 election, especially as it related to the Trump campaign and as it related to Madison Cawthorn's bid. Uh, she was not an executive committee member of the district. Um, and I'm not sure she was of Henderson County. I believe she was a precinct chair, possibly. Don't quote me on that. Right. But I know yeah. she was definitely involved with Mary Guy and the Henderson County GOP at that time. And so, um, yes, she went and ran for district chair uh, last year. We have our um, our party leadership elections in the odd years. So we had it in 2019 or 2021. And so she won that election uh, out of Henderson County against Mark Delk, who uh, longstanding Republican uh, out of Buncombe County. And I think, you know, her focus in a lot of way was those volunteerism efforts, you know, grassroots, as they call it, um, you know, getting getting the vote out and really, um, you know, a lot of high energy there. And so she's been serving as district chair. And so when Madison made the decision, I know, yes, uh, she's recently announced she's running. A lot of conversations going on with executive leadership as to, you know, how how does that play out for the district, given we've got a primary, given, you know, we'll have to have, we knew we were going to have to have an election in April, as it is for NC-14 leadership. Uh, and so uh, as far as controversy is concerned, I guess, um, you know, you're uh, speaking of the fact that she's been a district chair and uh, there's been 
some things said in regards to, you know, the timing that she created her committee. I think she created a committee at the state level to start with. And of course, has subsequently uh, created her uh, a committee at the FEC level here recently. And, um, and so I will, I will allow you judge to ask the question <laughs> as far as more of the, uh, any controversies you well, may, you well, may know, about. but I, I've, I've actively been speaking with Michelle too, again, just as a result of, you know, she's still currently chair the plan of organization does allow that. I know there's been some statements about, well, she should immediately resign. And, uh, you know, my personal opinion is one thing, but at the same time, I believe firmly in the plan of organization for those that don't know, it's basically our bylaws as a as a state party. Yeah. Well, um, well, well, let me say Bruce O'Connell and I, you know, I, I don't have a, a a clip of Bruce, but he has sent out an email calling for her resignation as district chair and complaining that over the course of the last four or five months, while she was district chair, she was very protective of incumbent Cawthorn and reluctant to let the challengers to him, which includes Bruce O'Connell, uh, you know, to have opportunities to speak and participate in district Republican things. So, so that, that will play out. We, she's in, I think Rod, Wendy and Bruce are definitely in. Um, and we talked a little bit about the senators and, uh, the four senators, in the legislature, maybe one of them jumping in. You have any predictions? Uh, you want you want to go out on on a long limb, uh, John? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm my. I, I think my prediction is you could see one or two get involved. Um, you know that that's that's what I'm hearing. Um, I think that you have. Uh, it seems even when even two years ago, I realized how with the North Carolina senators, state senators. You know, they're 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 close. You know, I mean, they talk to each other a good bit. And uh, and I think they're close regardless of a party at times, just because it's a smaller group than what you have in the NC House. And um, and thank God we got a budget finally. By the yeah. way, I just want to yeah. say that <laughs> for our educators, for our state employees and uh, especially for my county, uh, a lot of great things were in that budget. So I'm very thankful for that. Uh, but but I could see one or two. I think, um, you know. I don't want to, I don't want to speculate too much, but, you know, of course you've got Corbin who's in that Southwest pocket. Uh, I know he's extremely popular down there. He's done a great job. Uh, apparently, you know, he's been at the board of education, the commissioners, you know, to the house, to the state Senate. Yeah. And then Chuck, Ed, Chuck Edwards in Henderson County. I mean, you're going to have to gain votes from Buckham in Henderson County. That's all there is to it. So yeah. I think a lot of eyes are on him as well. Senator Heiss, I, I, you know, has done just such a great job in, in the NC Senate. You know, what a tough loss that would be in losing him, but I think he would be a fine leader as a U.S. congressman as well. I'm not sure. You know, I know he and Deanna are very close. I know at the uh, state convention, uh, we had a Friday night uh, uh, event, you know, and uh, I sat at Senator Heiss, allowed me to sit at his table, and Senator Ballard was there. So they're, they're close friends, and I think Senator Ballard, you know, she's weighing those options as well. I mean, I, I've spoken with her and, uh, you know, I think, uh, she's given great thought to that and actually seen a tweet, you know, that was saying she's going to be, you know, weighing the option of running this week. And, uh, I guess an announcement from her is forthcoming soon. I thought it was very interesting. I, uh, saw, uh, on, on Twitter and, uh, invitation to a Republican 
candidate forum in Henderson County in early January, and the one state senator that was listed on the invite list, or that I saw, uh, was Senator Ballard. Uh, so I don't okay. know whether uh, you may have been on the road to Oklahoma at, at that point. Well, John, uh, I know you got family things to do. Would you like to send uh, Thanksgiving wishes to the folks here in Western North Carolina, all the way from Oklahoma? I, I would. You know, I think um, I think in spite of everything we've been through over the past two years with the pandemic and all those things, the one thing that that the the times in which we focus on the negativity that politics often brings with it and all those things. I think the, my main thing is I'm a, I'm a minister of the gospel first and foremost, and God has blessed me so mightily with a wonderful family, you know, good friends like judge or miss Louise, you know, all, all these people in our community. And I think, I think that sometimes the conversation can get bigger than what at times even matters. And that's our local communities. And when I look at Yancey County and Burnsville, uh, people would say, well, why would you ever get involved in politics? And I would say this, it's because I really believe in my community. I believe in the people there. And I think uh, I think it's critical that we have good people continue to step up and run. And so while this field for Congress may be flooded with people or, or you know, it may stand at five or six, I'm not sure. But I know this, that regardless of the outcome, um, I would say we just need to pray for our leadership on both sides of the aisle. We need to remember what the word of God says, and that's to lift our brothers and sisters up in the love of God. Well, that's that's a good way to end it. I, I concur in everything you say, and we are thankful to have good people being willing to step up and undergo the 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 grueling challenge of of running for Congress. And so, uh, they do merit our prayers and and best wishes on both sides of the aisle. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you, Marie, and the family, and have a safe drive back. And we'll look forward to seeing you back here in uh, the mountains of western North Carolina and in particularly uh, uh, Yancey County. Thank you, Judge. The best to y'all. All right. Take care. Okay, friends, that's it for Thanksgiving week. Despite the problems, controversies, and challenges we face, it's important to be thankful for our blessings and to share our bounty with those less fortunate. Thanks to all our candidates for making the commitment to run for office. It's neither easy nor always fun. And even if you strongly disagree with a candidate, at least thank them for the effort. Our democracy depends on safe and fair elections and good candidates across the board. Next week, we'll have an interview with Jasmine Beach Ferrara, who many consider the Democratic front runner in the primary. But, Jasmine's driving to St. Louis with her spouse, three children, and a dog for Thanksgiving. That's brutal. And drumroll, Mark, we'll take a short detour out of the 14th and check in on the goings-on in the 13th as establishment Republicans look for a challenger or challengers to take on Madison Cawthorn. But most importantly, we'll have an interview with Josh Remillard Democratic candidate for Congress in the 13th, who jumped from the 14th district race specifically so he could take on Cawthorn. You don't want to miss that talk. And don't forget to check out our website at www.thebattleforenc14.com and our Twitter musings at Judge Bob Orr. You can find this podcast on your favorite streaming services, so pass the word 
about the battle for NC-14. Thanks as always to my producer, Mark Maximoff, who kindly put this together over his Thanksgiving trip to Washington, D.C. And a happy Thanksgiving to one and all, and safe travel.